All right. Well, this is probably the clearest recording we'll ever get on this podcast because I recorded or attempted to record this podcast or this message on Sunday and it didn't work. So here we are. I am recording in my basement slash office and yeah, this message is called, I don't even know what it's really called. It, I think it's called high or dead. And it's, it's a message that's, that is kicking off our capacity for more series that we're starting at young adults at Alabaster. And it is frankly, this, this entire series is all about, I guess my, my goal and my passion for, for frankly, all people is to enlarge their capacity for who the Lord is in their lives. For, for us to take him at his word, for us to take him seriously, for us to, you know, increase in him relationally, affectionately, devotionally, all of it. And that's, that's the goal. So tonight we're kicking this off. This is week one. High or dead is the title of this, but I feel like as young people, we're in this tension all the time of how much do I give to someone or something, whether it's work, family, school, relationships, friends, church, so on and so forth. I believe we have a capacity for more in the Lord. And I ask myself these what if questions all the time. Like what if I truly invited him to be the overflow of my cup, right? David said, David talked of his cup, uh, his cup overfloweth, you know, in the King James. Sound extra holy when you do that. We have a capacity, and I, I think our Christian life needs to be more than just filling our cup, but it needs to be actually my cup overflowing, because that is that is that Matthew 28, go share the gospel, cast out demons, heal the sick, all that kind of stuff. And I feel like this capacity for more... I, I hear all the time in Christian circles, fill me up, Lord, fill me up, Lord. And that's great, but it can't stop there. I, I believe that there's an overflow. There has to be an overflow. My cup overfloweth, David said. And David was a man after God's own heart. I don't know about you. That's pretty cool way of being described. Throughout my time with the Lord, I've been blown away with what the Lord's increased in me, in my capacity for him, even in those areas where I feel like I had arrived. So welcome to week one of the series, Capacity for More. And we'll start it like this. How many of you who are listening to this <laughs> are satisfied with where you are in the Lord, with the Lord today? Obviously, this is kind of a loaded question, right? Because I don't know if we're ever going to be the rest of our lives. 
Because if I truly believe that he is limitless, then I will never reach the end. Let me say it this way. I need to be content with him, but I should never be content with where my relationship is with him. I'm content with my relationship with him, but I should I should always be growing towards him. We're in a romantic slash lover relationship with him. And if you can understand this, when you have a wedding, that's not the peak of your affection that you have for that person. It grows with time. Right? I love my wife more today than I did on our wedding day. That's when most people celebrate it the most, but my love and her love for me has increased and grown. Kind of like, and this maybe will make more sense. A pine tree, <laughs> it's a weird jump, I get it, whatever. A pine tree is sick when it stays the same size all of its life, right? A pine tree is supposed to grow decade after decade and generation after generation. Frankly, reason. I, I, frankly, one of my goals in life is to the house that we live in is up in the forest of, of Sedalia, Colorado, and it's. I love the house. It's nothing special, but I love it. Um, one because it's our first ever house, and two because I've put a lot of time into renovating it, and I like it. And my goal is to pass it down to Miller, our son, one day, so that he can then tell his kids of the time that he grew up in that house and, you know, and uh, where he played with the played paintball and the same trees that his kids are then playing paintball in and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. What I'm trying to say is the same way I want to pass down what I've discovered about the Lord, I want to steward him just as well. And I want to have a relationship worthy of telling somebody about, how do I say that better? I want to pass down what I've discovered about the Lord and steward him well so that the next generation knows him better than I could ever know him. Maybe said differently, Christianity is not supposed to be a relearned thing every time and every single time a generation dies out, it's actually supposed to be passed down. Christianity is almost like an heirloom, if I can use that language. It's supposed to be passed down where my ceiling is to be the next generation's floor so they can build off of the things I've discovered in the Lord and go places that I never could with the Lord here on earth. I hope that makes sense. I'm not going to ask you if it does make sense because you're not here. You're not in my house. But I want to go after this topic in maybe a little bit of a interesting, different way tonight, because it is tonight when I'm recording this, but I, I need you to trust me, <laughs> because as you are stepping into new seasons with the Lord, I'm stepping into new seasons with the Lord, and I'm, I'm, I'm going different places spiritually, and I think that's cool. Um, because I'm, I was telling everybody on Sunday night, I'm watching movies differently. 
and I'm seeing the world differently because I believe that the Lord has kind of highlighted to me this truth of that everything preaches and that I was listening to a message from Bill Johnson the other day where he was talking about erasing lines um, and those lines being the the difference between uh, uh, sacred things like spiritual things and um, secular things and erasing those lines. So here's my here's my thing. Everything preaches and that's what I'm going after tonight. So I want to talk about Breaking Bad, that Netflix series on Netflix. That's why it's a Netflix series is because it's on Netflix. So this this show Breaking Bad is is really interesting and in this show there's this guy named Walter White and he creates a very very pure form of a drug called meth. And it is the purest form of meth ever created. So people are, he and others go to drastic lengths to get this to people uh, so that they can, so they can get high. And Walter does it to kind of create a better future for his family and pay for his expensive cancer treatments. And this is kind of one of those weird shows where the main character is frankly a terrible human being. But the show tricks you into like kind of rooting for him because you want him to succeed and you want him to provide for his family. Anyway, but the reason I bring it up is because in the 62 episodes of this sh- this Walt- of this show, Walter White, the main character has a dealer name, a drug dealer name of Heisenberg. And through every single episode, Walter White becomes less of Walter White and more of this this drug dealer Heisenberg. And this changes the way his marriage looks, changes the way his family operates, the way his friendships operate, and the way that, frankly, he operates the within, frankly, the way he operates and interacts with the world and the world within him, if that makes sense. Then the end of this show is you kind of barely know who Walter White is anymore at the end of the show. And you, frankly, only know who Heisenberg is. And there's this kind of, there's this shift and this transformation that takes place between between almost his, <laughs> I don't know if I can say this, but his two identities. Um, where his true identity of Walter White, who's a good dad and a, a smart teacher and, you know, he's a chemistry teacher and that's why he could make this pure, pure form of meth and, you know, all of these kinds of things and all of a sudden, he is a man called Heisenberg. So here's what I'm getting at. And I know that this is a weird leap, but I'm going there, baby. Here it is. If our goal is to be more like Christ, then the same type of thing should start happening to us. What I mean is, right now, we, I, am known by my first and last name. And as as you and I live with slash for Jesus, a transformation takes place, and then we are known differently. Think of it this way. Think of Paul. He was originally named Saul, right? And then he died. Sorry, let me say it this way. He was originally named Saul, and when he quote-unquote died, he was then known as Paul. 
So the Lord does this over and over and over again with people throughout Scripture. I'll give you three examples. Saul to Paul, right? One. Abram to Abraham, two. And then Jacob to Israel, three. Oh, actually, I got a fourth. Simon to Peter. And why does he do this? Frankly, when you die, you aren't you anymore. Right? I know that's like super... Oh, cool, the furnace just turned on, so it might be a little bit fuzzy in the back. But when you die, you aren't you anymore. That all shuts off. You are a different person. I mean, maybe this is a different way of putting it. A dead man's eyes are shut. What do I mean by that? Well, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and these guys were talking about uh, temptation, and I thought this was really interesting. He said, lust happens with your eyes open. Intimacy happens with your eyes closed. And I think it's really interesting when we, when you come to know Jesus, it's not about you living your best life. It's actually about us dying. The popular thing to preach in our, in our churches is the, is the two births, right? Born of flesh, born of spirit, which is good. That's a good thing. I definitely agree with that teaching. But I think what's gotten lost in that is the thing that needs to be preached is the two deaths, dead in spirit and dead in flesh. I don't know if you know this, but frankly, living your best life got us into the place that we're in. If I am a dead man, I cannot be tempted in my flesh. But you're like, well, I'm going to be tempted. Okay, yeah, I get it. I'm just trying to give a cool one line so it kind of hits a little bit different. What I'm trying to say, if I'm falling into temptation, my flesh is still very, very much alive in that area. If I'm falling into temptation, my flesh is still very alive in that area. Jesus was tempted, but he said no. He turned away. He moved on. Yes, and we know that we use it. Sometimes we actually use it against him, like, oh, you were tempted. But if we actually understand temptation, temptation isn't sinning. Us saying yes to temptation is sinning. So I want to turn to Romans 8, and I feel like that was a pretty sick intro, but you can decide. Turn to Romans 8 if you're able. Otherwise, I'm going to read it. And um, I need to drink a lemonade. Yeah. Romans 8. And I'm going to read verses 5 through 14. Because I think this highlights it um, very well. And it reads... For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Good. Duh. Verse 6. 
For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind on the spirit of life and... Oh, sorry. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however or maybe hopefully are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in this in but in fact in the spirit of God dwells in you anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him but if Christ is in you but if I love that verse 10 but if Christ is in you although the body is dead because of sin the spirit is life because of righteousness or in my translation, the Spirit of God is very much alive. I like that. Verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. But you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's good stuff, yes? So there's two camps. There's two camps that we can fall in, right? We are either controlled by our sinful nature, a.k.a. living in the flesh, or the other camp is we're following after Holy Spirit. If Jesus didn't die and offer a way out, we would still be stuck with no authority over sin. Have you ever thought of that? Jesus died to give us authority. Authority is something that we can stand on. Power is his move on top of that authority that we're standing on. As Holy Spirit leads, we have to be a people who do it eagerly. Yes? Because what does that mean? It puts to death our flesh. It means that we are shutting down our selfish stuff. Our, our flesh, all of that kind of stuff, it's getting shut down. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, it says, It says, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, that I die every single day. Think of it this way. If death ended it all, Enjoying the moment would be the only thing that matters. But we know that there's something beyond death or beyond the grave if you grew up in a Christian environment. We know that there's something beyond the grave, that our life on earth is, is only preparation for what we are going to experience in heaven. Or what we're going to be doing in heaven, maybe is a better way of saying it. 
We can't just be thinking about, okay, what can I get of mine today? We need to be thinking about, okay, how am I preparing my heart, my spirit, my soul for heaven culture? Because if I'm not doing that, I'm afraid that a lot of people might be let down when they get to heaven because it's not songs that are talking about fighting their battles. It's talking about how holy and worthy and wonderful the king is. Yes, I believe that he fights for me and all that kind of stuff. He's the God who fights for me. Yeah, I so get that. And I will praise to that. But I also need to understand that there are angels encircling him, repeating into his ears over and over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So it's cool to sing, this is how I fight my battles, and I can praise him for that. But that can't be the end-all, be-all song that I jump up and down to and that I, quote-unquote, feel the Lord to. Because I don't know about you, the Holy of Holies sounds better than the Outer Courts. And the Holy of Holies, there's a lot of holies there. I hope that makes sense. I'm all for... I'm all for praise, worship, and all that kind of stuff, but we gotta be careful what we're singing. Like that song, Give Me Faith, it's confusing. Why am I singing it? Give me faith, so I, how's that worshiping? I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. If I am, tell me, that's fine. Maybe I'm wrong, but you better be right. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right, whatever. Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been co-crucified with Christ. Think of it this way. Or let me, let me really poke some buttons. This wasn't received very well. On Sunday night, nobody really liked this, but I believe that it needs to be said. The church and the uh, let me say it better. The church and the Christians in it have turned into addicts waiting for the next high. Churches have begun then curating services to those kind of people so that they continue to get high week after week. Maybe said differently is we need to stop chasing highs like some drug addict, but we need to die to his ways and die to his purposes. Yes, will he bless me? Yes, that and that, I promise you that'll be one of the most life-giving things that you ever get because it's through him giving you life. I'm sorry, it's cool to have an inflated bank account, but if it's not his blessing, I don't want it. Some of you might disagree with that, and that's fine. But if I am dying to his ways, I'm holding his ways higher than mine. And that's the important part. Christians are supposed to be dead to themselves and fully alive in Christ. We need to stop being drug addicts and just stop 
getting our bump fix on Sunday mornings. Instead, we just need to love him. Need to love him and say, all right, your ways are higher than mine. Because they are. I've had more encounters with the Lord in my prayer closet than I've had ever in church services. Why? Because it's intimate. Intimacy happens with my eyes closed. A dead man <laughs> has his eyes closed. It's an intimate, intimate moment. When you're dead, you can't be tempted. When you're dead, think of it. Let me put it this way. Think of it this way. Adam and Eve didn't realize they were naked until their eyes were opened. What am I saying? Adam and Eve were truly, truly dead. <laughs> I know that's a, a weird way of saying it. They were dead to their flesh because their flesh didn't matter. It was just him in the garden. It was just God Almighty and tending to the garden. It wasn't anything else. But when they ate of the wrong thing, then their eyes were opened and their lust was then activated. And I'm sorry, I know lust is only used when it's sexual sin, but lust is a lot of different things. Lust is, is me, lust is, is, is covetous, it's, it's jealousy, it is, it is my flesh being activated. Adam and Eve were dead, and then they decided Okay, I'll eat the I'll eat the bad apple and wham, everything changed. Their eyes were open. Why? Because they got satisfied. Not that's the wrong way of saying it. They got content in their relationship with the Lord. So then they look they started looking around. Saw the tree, caught their eye, serpent did his work. And then wham. Christians are supposed to be dead to themselves and fully alive in Christ. Do you realize that Adam and Eve were fully alive in Christ when they didn't eat the bad apple? It's Jesus' language. He's a resurrected king. <laughs> He's a resurrected king. Think of it this way. Jesus, when Jesus died, he wasn't himself anymore. And I know that this is going to sound weird, so listen to me. He wasn't himself anymore. It wasn't that he was bipolar and, or schizophrenic or anything like that. When Jesus died, he wasn't himself anymore. Read 1 Peter 2.24. It's mind-blowing. He became us, and then he died. Or the politically correct, maybe, version of this is he bore our sin and died for our sins. What's that mean? He became us. He wasn't sinful. He didn't die for his own sins. He died for my sins, which is me, which is my flesh. My sinful nature is my flesh. So he therefore took upon my flesh, died. That means I was co-crucified with him on that cross if I choose to accept it. 
And then guess what? When he was raised fully himself. Sorry, I said that weird. He was raised fully himself. Better. He was, he was Jesus. Why? Because our sin then was dead and he took it to hell. <laughs> right? Because sin gets me to hell. Unrepentant sin gets me to hell. That's the way it goes. So when he raised from the dead, when that stone rolled away, all the Easter stuff, he then came out fully representative of who he truly was. That is sick. And to put the cherry on top, he had an invitation in his hand for us to accept the same reality. Think of it this way. Maybe it's hard to compare ourselves to Jesus. So let's talk about Lazarus. When Lazarus died, the thing that led him to death, whatever it was that killed Lazarus, was no more at the very moment that Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Stay with me. If the thing that killed Lazarus was still active on his body, he would have either, one, not walked out of that grave, or two, he would have walked out and then died right away. And that would have been a weird story. He raises and sustains. He raises and he satisfies. He says, okay, this is a direct representation of what I'm going to do for you guys. He's going to say, all right, all right, hey, so-and-so, come on out. The fullness of you is the fullness of Christ. Or maybe said better, the fullness of Christ shows the fullness of me. My identity is in Christ, or it should be. It said it at the end of Romans 8. Those who are led by the Spirit or in the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. That's it. It'd be a terrible story if Lazarus walked out of that grave and then died right away. Oops. That would be so awkward. Or if Jesus walked out of the tomb and then died right away after he walked out of the tomb. It would be a really awkward story. It's like, okay, he at least got out of the grave. He was alive. He did resurrect, but then he died right away. Just what's happened? Jesus raises and sustains us. He says, hey, die for me so you can fully live with me. And then we get to stay fixated on him. He raises and sustains that's all he does. He raises and sustains. I want us to get this. Because if we just continue to chase highs, or maybe mountaintop experiences, as I've heard it called, we're going to be let down. Because I've heard 
too many times from from young adults, I haven't felt God in a long time. I just need an encounter from God tonight. And then my entire body shudders. And I said, no, you need to get alone with him. You need to go get in the closet with him. You don't need to go to another conference to meet God. You need to get in your closet to meet God. You know, Jesus met God not when he preached. He met God when he was on the mountaintops moving away and setting aside time to pray and spend time with him. It wasn't when people were... (laughs) It wasn't like Jesus said, all right, hey, I need an hour of worship before I preach so that I feel the presence of God. (laughs) That would be so weird. No, he knew. His nearness with the Lord in the secret place, with his eyes shut in intimacy, was what sustained him for everything. Gotta grab this. This will be cool if we grab it. So what do we do? Well, you already know what to do. Get alone with him. Don't go to another conference. Shut off the voices of pastors, (laughs) including me. Who cares? Five minutes of true time with Jesus is better than any hour sermon I could ever preach. Or 30 minutes. Whatever. It's better. 30 seconds with him. True him. Intimacy in full effect is better than anything you could hear from a stage from some celebrity pastor to some ho-hum guy like me. My job is to get you near, intimate with Christ. be really weird if I only showed you guys that I was married. Let me say it this way. It would be really weird if I were to only exemplify my marriage to my wife if it were in public and not when we're at home together when nobody's watching. We got to stop prostituting Jesus. Stop trying to get another bump of Jesus. Instead of, we just need to drink him in, watch him fill our cup, and watch it then overflow. The overflow is the public. The filling is in the intimate place. We've got it backwards. We think... The public is, he'll fill my cup in public. Nope. He'll fill your cup in intimacy when it's you and him in your prayer closet. That's when he'll do it. And the overflow, 
is not him doing anything more. It's you being obedient to his voice to the public so that people are also fed. Then that's when 1 Corinthians chapter 12 comes into effect and then spiritual gifts manifest. And then it's all lovely and it's all beautiful and people are getting edified and encouraged and encountering the Lord and getting a taste so that they can then drink in the intimate place. I don't want anybody to be dependent on my ministry or on my voice. I want them to be completely dependent on Jesus. If you're dependent on me, I've failed. If you're dependent on a pastor, that pastor's failed. It's good to have good leaders around, yes. But I'm not Jesus. I need to die so that he can truly live through me. What a wonderful reality. What a wonderful invitation that he says. It's all yours too. Holy Spirit, Lord, teach us how to be intimate with you. Teach us how to befriend you, how to love you, how to honor you, how to worship you properly. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't run to you for any kind of high, but that we would give you a pleasing offering and that you would fill our cup in the quiet, intimate places. I pray that you would teach us how to be in relationship with you and what it means to die to our flesh so that you can truly live through us. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for shedding blood. Thank you for allowing your body to be scarred so that we could truly, truly live through you. So Holy Spirit, train us, guide us, teach us, counsel us so that we can become nearer to you in the secret place. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all I've got. I'll see you guys Sunday night at Encounter Church for Alabaster Younger Young Adults. Doors open at 4. Service starts at 5-ish. Much love. Have a good rest of your day.